Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And John, it's my understanding that you've been convinced not to pursue your dream of becoming a triple crown winning jockey after seeing Bodie Express toss his rider to the ground at the Preakness. <laughs> Rough day for that guy. Uh, I, I hope you didn't have any money on Bodie Express, John. Uh, Eric, I think I'd have to be chopped almost in half these days at the jockey weight limit. So uh, <laughs> that's not going to be it, unfortunately. Uh, the best tweet I saw about the Preakness was about how relieved the jockeys union had to be that the riderless horse didn't cross the finish line first. That would really kind of... <laughs> Uh, defeat the purpose of, of their existence, I think. But uh, as far as money on that horse, uh, you know, Eric, like a lot of sports fans, that week Preakness Field had me realizing the race happened about five minutes after it ended on Saturday. <laughs> right. One of those, right. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> happening. And yeah, none of uh, the horses who did well at the Kentucky Derby are in it. Yeah. I broke even. So it's uh, <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, no, it's funny you, you bring up the uh, the uh, fictional jockeys union. I assume it's fictional that there's a jockeys union, but oh, uh, maybe not. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's, it, I was thinking so along the same lines that it's uh, not, not a bad strategy uh, by the horse to, to ditch the dead weight and run faster. Um, I, I realize that the horse gets disqualified, but still, it uh, feels like Bodie Express is starting some sort of uh, horse racing sabermetric revolution. Like, this is the infield shift of, of horse racing, maybe. I would totally watch that race. You get 10 horses and none of them have a jockey. <laughs> and they send them out of the gate. Now, they, it might be like electric football back in the 1970s. I had that game where the players are supposed to go forward and actually they go sideways and they kind of uh, do a ballet with each other. There's the arms wrapped around each other going in circles. And, yep. and I imagine the horse is going in different directions, but uh, <laughs> I'd watch it though. Perfect analogy. I would watch it too. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you to everyone out there for joining us for episode number 41 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 40 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple podcast app. Please do your public duty and subscribe, rate, and review. Yeah, and Eric, coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by our colleague, Matt Rybeltowski. Uh, he does investigative reporting and feature writing for SportsHandle.com and the various other sites under our U.S. Bets umbrella. Uh, Matt was the primary writer behind the recent high-profile piece on the NBA and Major League Baseball, uh, allegedly trying to strong-arm some Nevada sports books into paying data fees. So, uh, so we'll be talking to him about that story and much more. But first, it's uh, always a busy news week in the world of gambling, so let's get right to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We start this week in the state of Louisiana, where there are two separate but related pieces of legislative news. First, a sports betting bill advanced from a House committee to the House floor after having passed the Senate in April, but it only covers brick-and-mortar locations, no mobile, so maybe someone should tell the Louisiana legislators about what's happening here in the 21st century. Uh, Anyway, the more interesting news is that there's a separate bill to legalize DFS in the state, uh, or at least in the 47 parishes out of 64 total in the state that voted last fall in favor of DFS. And the bill very nearly included an amendment to only allow DFS at brick-and-mortar locations. This is mind-boggling. The notion of having DFS but not letting people make lineups and enter contests on their computers at home... Uh, Louisiana would have been the the first state in the country to pass a law like that. Fortunately, the sponsor of the bill noticed the amendment and got it removed before the legislation passed. But wow, brick and mortar only DFS. 
I'm kind of speechless. Uh, John, hopefully you're not. Uh, do you have anything to say to the fine elected officials of Louisiana who apparently don't know how DFS works and are uh, also apparently afraid of mobile technology in general? <laughs> yes, yeah, Eric, the DFS one definitely is weirder. Uh, it's new enough that it only exists basically on the interwebs anyway, yep. right? I mean, yeah. I know some leagues have an in-person draft, especially if the owners are over 40, um, but they don't <laughs> return to a casino every Sunday morning over Virgin Bloody Marys and announce their lives to each other. So that is bizarre. Um, the sports betting version is more conventionally dumb. You know, if there wasn't that pesky $150 billion illegal gambling market in the U.S. annually, uh, then it might be tempting to think you could herd any bets into casinos that have thousands of employees, after all, and and keep them gainfully employed. And uh, no one gets to bet otherwise. Uh, but that's not the case. Uh, I also especially enjoy the idea that Louisianans or Louisianites or losers or whatever they are. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I don't think they want to be called losers. But losers, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a new one for me. Uh, maybe that's what Mississippi people call them. I don't know. There you but, go. Uh, yeah, I, I like the idea they had to vote Paris by Paris on a topic as serious as daily fantasy sports legalization. <laughs> I mean, imagine how many hardworking voters who have a lot more important things to do, worry about their family and so on. Uh, they're looking at the ballot question for the first time in the voting booth and saying, do I want to have daily fantasy sports legalized? I'm not a sports fan. I, I don't know. And uh, 47 out of 64. So uh, that says something, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's good news for uh, <laughs> the fantasy industry that uh, it, that big a majority were in favor of it. But um, yeah, the, the whole uh, brick and mortar DFS thing, I was trying to think of a, a good parallel to use as an example. I, I guess it's, it's kind of like telling people they could only use Facebook at brick and mortar locations, uh, which would <laughs> suggest a fundamental misunderstanding of how people use Facebook. Um, I mean, you can play DFS in public settings as DraftKings and FanDuel do with their big live finals, but that's not really how it works. And, and it just, it sounds like typical bureaucratic BS that, that almost got this amendment through uh, the backstory, which I read in Brian Pempis's article, was that the Louisiana Video Gaming Association, which lobbies for bars and truck stops with video poker, was the organization behind this. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just maddening how special interest groups can subvert, or, or in this case, nearly subvert the will of the people, uh, and in this case, uh, subvert all logic, uh, really, by, by throwing their weight around. Uh, but thankfully, uh, it seems uh, sanity has prevailed. Yeah, I mean, it just comes down to something... Uh state by state and even nationally, um, the amount of lawmakers and influencers over 60, 65 years old who are trying to make decisions for people who are, uh, in many cases, under 40, um, right. it, it's pretty striking. And the Internet being about 25 years old um, kind of uh, accentuates that uh, that difference. So you have almost all of the influencers are people who grew up uh, like me without the internet and, um, came of age without it. And, um, they're making decisions for many people who were, you know, were sort of born with this and had a, had a, a phone when they were eight years old and such. Uh, right. so it's, it's a weird dynamic and it goes obviously a lot beyond daily fantasy sports, but, um, that's uh, the world we live in. Yeah, you you and I both fall nicely in that sweet spot in between those two demographics. You said over 60 and under 40. We're both uh, in that middle group that kind of knows our way around a phone or a computer, yeah. but uh, but we, we weren't uh, born with uh, with phones in our pockets. Mm -hmm. exactly. uh, all right, moving to a different state. Let's look at news out of West Virginia, where sports betting is already legal and even mobile sports betting is legal. 
but you wouldn't know it if you tried to place a bet there. The Bet Lucky app was active for a little while in the state, but went offline back in March over some behind-the-scenes conflicts. But now it looks like online betting is set to return to the state, with the West Virginia Metro News reporting on Wednesday that testing is complete on the DraftKings app, and DraftKings is a partner of Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Races. The latest word is that a soft launch is expected next week, so it'll be an interesting race between neighboring states, Pennsylvania and West Virginia, to see whether the latter has mobile betting for a second time before the former gets there for the first time. (laughs) Bottom line, DraftKings mobile sportsbook is coming to a second state in addition to New Jersey, where it's already operational. Do you expect it to do huge business in West Virginia as long as it doesn't have any competitors for a while? Uh, hmm. Eric, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time in West Virginia. Um, I do want to have credit. I once spent the night in Roanoke where I met the granddaughter of Jacques Cousteau. Uh, oh, okay. You, you can Google him, kids. Um, <laughs> uh, and no, I'm not kidding. I really did meet her. Um, but uh, I wonder about a few things here, though. Uh, this strikes me as a football crazy state more than anything. So it's slim pickings right now, obviously, uh, right. for that. Uh, DraftKings gets to dominate then, but really how big a market? I mean, in New Jersey, there are fans of 13 pro sports teams in the four traditional sports in the New York or Philly markets. Um, plus you have a far more diverse population that therefore is more likely to bet on foreign sports, such as soccer and, uh, even international tennis and such. So, you know, add in the market confusion there. I mean, if you're, uh, again, a hardworking West Virginia resident who is not obsessed with the gambling and such is this legal is it not legal what what do i do i don't know you know i'll be intrigued to see what the uh the monthly numbers are per capita once this comes out because i'm not sure there's going to be a big market here uh i have to say on your the rankings of your all-time podcast name drops uh jacques cousteau's granddaughter uh, i think it's somewhere near the bottom for (laughs) for celebrity interaction i also also met his grandson on the same night but that was less interesting okay I won't ask any follow-up questions about what made the granddaughter more interesting. We'll uh, we'll leave that alone. Um, but no, I think you're absolutely right that you know this is while it's an interesting experiment to see what kind of numbers a site with a mobile monopoly can put up. It'll be a small-scale experiment in West Virginia before football season. Uh, you know, West Virginia certainly isn't as populous as New Jersey. Um, but I'm just kind of curious, percentage-wise, with just one site, can the mobile-to-live balance be close to the 80-20 that it is in Jersey? Um, if so, that's a solid haul for that one site. Um also, I wonder if DraftKings' pricing will be any different in a temporary monopoly. Uh, you know, they could presumably get away with minus 115 lines in West Virginia if they wanted to. Uh, I assume they're not going to try that, sort of knowing that competition will come eventually, that they would be looking to build goodwill and wouldn't take that approach. But I guess it's something to watch for. Uh, and then the the other thing to touch on here is just, uh, as, as I noted, the race between West Virginia and Pennsylvania. Looks like more delays in PA. Uh, we, we'd been told someone would be up and running, probably Sugar House, uh, by early to mid-May. Well, it's now May 23rd, and there's talk that it might not happen this month after all. Um, and I get it. Better to get it right than to rush it. But it's uh, still somewhat maddening how Pennsylvania always launches behind schedule. Yeah, there's no 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 rushing in Pennsylvania for sure. No. Uh, all right. Moving to our final story this week. I don't know about you, John. But something was missing in my life the last two weeks, uh, and I have the Jeopardy! Teachers Tournament to blame. Uh, Now, regular Jeopardy! is back, which means James Holzhauer is back, 
and he's just cranking out $80,000 and up winning games again, showing no rust whatsoever. As of Wednesday night, he'd won 25 games, and he has an excellent shot at breaking the $2 million mark on Thursday's show. And he's taken a few steps further into the mainstream this week. There was a big Washington Post article about how Jeopardy! James is an ambassador for the sports betting community. And indeed he is. I think he's become, or is at least becoming, the public face of sports betting. Uh, Holzhauer also is speaking at a gambling conference at UNLV next week. And to top it all off, Tom Brady is tweeting about him, uh, the GOAT QB. Uh, and yes, you know, I, I may root against the Patriots, but uh, Brady is clearly the GOAT. I have to acknowledge it. Uh, he tweeted this week, if James loses on Jeopardy tonight, I'll eat a strawberry on Instagram Live tomorrow. Uh, I don't get the joke. I'm not sure what Brady's aversion to strawberries is, but uh, whatever. Uh, the point is. Tom Brady is a James Holzhauer follower. Uh, so, John, uh, Holzhauer mania is running wild. Is there anything surprising you about his level of fame or how he's handling the fame? And are you DVRing and watching every night like I am? Uh, well, Eric, you know, I, I truly appreciate the fact that uh, we were the first podcast to feature James as a guest Indeed. over a month yep. ago. Yep. And he seemed to enjoy the experience. And, and uh, seriously, uh, you know, James seems to me pretty modest and cautious. But I think he's learned that he's one of those people who can just be himself. And that's a good interview. And I'm glad to see that he recognizes that. And he's, he's just comfortable in his own skin. And that's that's been fun to see because uh, he's a good ambassador for uh, for legal regulated sports betting also. And now my, am I DVRing the show every night? Um, do we know if James subscribes to this podcast? Uh, Is there there a list somewhere that we have? of? There is not a list. I can't, I can't tell you whether he does. I'm only going to tell a lie here. If I find out that James is an avid weekly listener. Um, (laughs) so otherwise, uh, no, but, uh, I'll probably watch an episode this week. Why not? Uh, It's a little bit of a, uh, you know, kind of watching uh, Duke play, uh, you know, Southeastern (laughs) Central, uh, Louisiana Central A&M in November in college basketball. But yeah, I'll watch it. Well, that brings up an an important point about the whole Jeopardy James experience that Duke versus a, you know, a no hoper type team um, that a, a lot of people are tuning out because of that. Uh, Now, not anywhere near as many people as are tuning in because of this incredible run. But yeah, I wrote a piece two weeks ago about what I perceive as sort of pettiness and uh, of this this backlash where people try to claim he's bad for Jeopardy. Um, But I absolutely get that he makes it less entertaining for some people. Uh, You know, watching the show is certainly more comfortable when someone just goes up the categories from easiest questions to hardest. And there's definitely not much drama in the viewing experience when James is ahead by $12,000 at the first commercial break. Um, But the ratings are astronomical. So you can't say he's bad for Jeopardy. He's obviously good for Jeopardy. He has people like us talking about Jeopardy uh, and one of the two of us DVRing and watching every night. Um, And actually, and I watch it uh, with my kids most nights. So that, that in terms of ratings, James, if you're listening, uh, you know, I'm making up for, uh, for, for John not watching. Uh, But I'm definitely impressed with how he's handling the fame. Um, both on the show and off the show, I'll say that he is somewhat robotic. Um, Maybe he's not totally relatable to everyone, Um, but that's just because of how smart he is and how his brain works. He's definitely trying to engage. You know, he's doing media. He's putting himself out there. uh, And I think he's undeniably representing the sports betting world well at a time when it's really great to be able to put a human face on sports betting. Yeah, good for Jeopardy, James. 
It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. We now welcome to the podcast one of our colleagues within the U.S. Bets family, veteran writer Matt Rybaltowski, who has had bylines for Forbes, The New York Times, The Guardian, Reuters, and CBS Sports, and who now writes mostly feature-length articles, often of the investigative reporting variety, for Sports Handle and our various other sites. Matt, welcome to Gamble On. Thanks for having me on. So let's start with uh, your your May 2nd article on Sports Handle, which was headlined Shakedown Fees, NBA, MLB Demanding Nevada Sportsbooks Pay More or Get Cut Off. The article has gotten a lot of attention and it's been ranked as the most read article on Sports Handle all month. Take us behind the scenes a little. How did this story first come across your radar? And I know you worked on it with Brett Smiley. What challenges did the two of you face doing the reporting for this piece? Yeah, uh, most of, most of the credit uh, with with the piece goes to Brett because he had some uh, he had some real tremendous reporting with with the piece and uh, he was really instrumental in in getting the project uh, off the ground. So um, Brett was at a um, major industry uh, conference last month that that John also attended at the the Meadowlands uh, the the Bet on Sports America conference. Right, and there were fifteen hundred. Uh, industry participants there. And um, at the conference, there were rumblings that that SportRadar, a uh, third-party uh, data distributor, made um, request to a, a, a prominent book in, uh, in Las Vegas for additional royalty fees for both its NBA feed and um, Major League uh, Baseball uh, data feeds. And um, if uh, th- th- those attempts were accurate, that represented a um, a-, a major uh, development within the industry because it's been difficult to to determine if if that's even uh, legal to uh, make a a request like that. So we've been on this uh, story for for the past month, and uh, we- we've done a real uh, thorough job in-, in trying to uncover what is actually going on. And um, as you noted, there's been uh, numerous challenges uh, in the reporting, but but so far, I, I think we're pretty proud with uh, some of the information that we've uh, uncovered. I, I guess, first of all, the biggest challenge has been um, getting some of these uh, sources that, that are uh, close to the situation to, to even sit down and, and talk with us, because... Hmm. Understandably, th- this is a this is a real sensitive topic, and in essence, we're we're asking them to reveal the contents of of a private negotiation uh, publicly in a, in a public uh, forum. So, um, first of all, um, a number of sources uh, they, they've been hesitant to talk. Um, we've had a few others uh, decline uh, comment, and then we've sort of had to negotiate with them what we can use in print and then what we can attribute to an anonymous source and then what had to remain off the record. So that was, that was the first challenge. And then the second challenge, uh, after we've uh, reached the, uh, the, the third part of, of this uh, series, is determining what is accurate and then, for lack of a better term, what has been uh, fake news. <laughs> hmm. um, because 
even with basic questions re- revolving uh, factual information, it, it's almost been like every source has had a has had a, a, a different take or a different spin on what's going on. So both Brett and I have had to determine, well, is the source being forthright or are they looking to use us to promote or sell their position and then slam the, the, the opposition at the same point, which we don't really want to report there. Right. Um, we've had to look at whether they're obfuscating the, the truth at, at all, or if a source is outright uh, lying. And um, here's the situation. So one of the sources um, for, for the story said that uh, since the, the, the playoffs began, that um, Sport Radar made a request for an uh, additional uh, flat fee um, just for playoff games. And then they looked to collect fees for the 2019-2020 regular season and then the next regular season, 2020-21. Right. And so they were they, they were pretty uh, firm in, in, in their response there, and it appeared like they were telling the truth. And then we learned last week from the NBA that the NBA claimed that there, there was not a playoff package at, at all. So I think that's been the, the, the biggest challenge here is that there has been aspects uh, of the reporting where, where either one side is lying or the other side is, is lying. So you have to sort of determine what's accurate there and then what's worth uh, reporting. Right. Okay. Yeah, Matt. Uh, following up on that, um, I'm wondering what kind of feedback you've gotten in, in the industry in terms of whether are, are people, however they feel about it, and like you said, they all have their own spin. But are they happy that this is out in the public uh, in at all in general? And I'm also wondering uh, how soon might we know, you know, which side is going to blink first on this, or is this going to go into you know the fall and the, and the next regular season? I think from um, I think from other um, media outlets in the industry and uh, participants who who've followed this uh, data work closely, we've received really strong feedback from them because over the the last month we we've been able to bring uh, clarity to a topic that's that's been uh, fairly opaque for the the last uh, last year or so. So um, so they they've given us pretty good feedback. Um, from a league perspective and from sport radar, um, they haven't been too pleased with, with the story <laughs> and neither Brett nor I expected that. Um, it wasn't a good look for the leagues um, with some of the reporting there. And so the leagues, uh, they didn't like the term shakedown fee at all. They, uh, they view this as more of a commercial conflict and um, a series of private negotiations um, with the sports books. So, so they've been a little critical uh, of our series in, in that regard. In terms of which side will blink first, um, I think it, it's really difficult to, to tell at this moment. Um, Bloomberg uh, reported that there's a uh, subsequent deadline uh, put in place for these books to to pay um, MLB an additional royalty fee by uh, by the All Star break, and um, if that fee is not paid, then um, Sport Radar is threatening to turn off the signal of their uh, in-game data feed at that point. 
So I, I think that's a, a date to, uh, to look at on whether sport radar actually follows through or if it's an idle threat there. And then um, I think longer term, you, you have to look at how many states enact uh, data mandates that would require books to pay for official data. So in the next year or so, if that's over a dozen states, then, then the leagues could gain an upper hand. But if that number remains in the single digits, then, uh, then I, I, I think at that point, the books would maintain an advantage over the leagues there. Gotcha. Um, all right, so that's a, a pretty serious, uh, heavy story uh, for the industry. On a lighter note, uh, I know that you have a story in the works uh, for the end of this week on the sports books facing a fair amount of liability on the St. Louis Blues winning the Stanley Cup. Uh, and on Tuesday night, the, the Blues eliminated the Sharks in advance to the finals. I personally don't really follow hockey anymore. Uh, I couldn't name a single player on the Blues. I, I guess Brett Hull isn't on the team anymore, uh, presumably. Uh, so, so I don't really know their story this season. Without giving away too much of what's going to appear in your article, at what point in the season or postseason did these Blues futures bets come in? Were they just mispriced? Uh, is it a few whales or, uh, or is this a matter of like a large quantity of bets on the Blues? What's sort of the story behind uh, this liability? It's funny because um, last year with the, the Vegas Golden Knights inaugural season, um, you saw um, numerous bets in the range of, uh, of 100 to 1 to 300 to 1 on the Knights to, to win the, the Stanley Cup. And um, a number of, of the books around the strip faced uh, six-figure uh, liabilities. And then I, I guess if the Knights pulled off the miracle and, and won the Stanley Cup, the liability was in the in the seven-figure range. So a few books said that they would never see anything like like that happening again. And then all of a sudden, within a a year, the Blues were at 250 to one uh, in January when they mm. they had the uh, the worst record in, in in the league. And then in February they went on this real hot streak. There were a few uh, bets. Uh, placed uh, at, at that figure of uh, 250 to 1 at, at that point. Um, there's a ticket on a prop swap right now where a St. Louis native um, put 400 on, on the Blues to, to win the cup, and so that'll pay out um, 100K. Wow. And the, um, the better, um, he received an offer for uh, 24,000 uh, earlier in the Western Conference Finals. He um, he declined it, and the um, the market rate for for that bet is is around uh, forty thousand now. So it'll be interesting thing to to see if he just takes the guaranteed money, or if he wants to let it ride and and try to win a hundred grand. But um, another better on prop swap already had uh, five different long shot tickets on on the Blues, and he he sold. All five. Hmm. The, the odds have uh, varied as the, the Blues have gone on this run. And at the start of the playoffs, they were 14 to 1 to, to win the Cup. So it, it, it's really safe to say that a number of books are going to be rooting for the, uh, the, the Bruins in the finals. Yeah. All right. Cool. Looking forward to that story later this week. All right. And uh, Eric will join them, uh, no doubt. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Matt, we both attended the recent Ice North America conference in Boston. And, uh, you know, my main takeaway was how many Europeans attending were 
kind of mystified by how obsessed the they said Americans are with statistics in terms of how they choose to bet. I mean, they weren't annoyed by it as much as mystified. Like it's business, you know. Okay, these crazy Americans, all they care about is the stats, and they're looking at all that, and that's what they do, kind of sabermetric uh, across the board in all sports. Um, I'm wondering uh, for you also, did anything stand out uh, from the conference in general? Yeah, yeah, I I think that the European influence on on the the continued uh, expansion of, of the uh, U.S. market is definitely a storyline uh, to follow, and it's come up at at all these conferences. So, uh, so that's something I'm I'm going to uh, be focused on in the weeks to come. I think one one panel that stood out was the one that uh, Jonathan Kraft was on because. Uh, before his his appearance, the the NFL has largely uh, been on the sidelines uh, in terms of sports gambling, and we've heard a, a, a little from uh, from NFL executives on, on what the league's policy is uh, towards sports betting, but but they really haven't been granular at all. And um, uh, Jonathan Kraft had some uh, pretty pithy comments about those. Um, those on-screen uh, betting platforms that you've uh, seen in a, in a few free contests in other sports. Um, there, there's one that NBC Sports Washington did with the Wizards, and then um, the Sacramento Kings uh, ran a, f- a free contest uh, as well. He mentioned that um, it, it won't happen right away, but you could also see that in uh, in NFL games where there there might be an alternative uh, feed for Sunday night or Monday night broadcast with various odds on there, say Tom Brady's over under for passing yards or uh, Edelman's uh, catch total, things like that. And um, he said that the NFL could look to license that and then sell that to a a sports book. So, so I guess that's, that's the first time that the the NFL has, has really, um, shown an interest in the, um, the sports betting space. So, so that was one takeaway. And then uh, another takeaway is what's going to happen from a broadcast uh, perspective as well in light of the, the Fox Sports uh, Stars Group uh, deal that will um, lead to the launch of Fox Bet in the fall. So, uh, so, so that happened two weeks ago, and I, I think the, the industry is eager to see what will happen there. And then since that happened, there there were uh, reports that uh, ESPN has taken a stake in DraftKings too. So you're you're really uh, finally seeing uh, some of the major broadcast networks uh, get involved, and um, I, I'd like to see um, some of the others that uh, that haven't uh, taken an interest yet. I, I'd like to see what they might do um, before the NFL season starts this fall. Yeah, it's all going more and more mainstream. And as John says, just about every week on on this podcast, uh, we're in the right industry, it seems. (laughs) (laughs) Well, great stuff. Uh, Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Matt. Uh, Your Twitter handle uh, is just your full name, right? Full name, yeah. At Matt Reibeltowski. All right. um, (laughs) M-A-T-T. Go ahead, spell it. Well, the M-A-T-T, I bet they could have figured out, but uh, give them the last name. (laughs) It, it's uh, R-Y-B as in boy, A-L-T as in alt, O-W-S-K-I. All right. So follow Matt on Twitter. Uh, and uh, great talking to you, Matt. Thanks for coming on Gamble On. Thanks so much, Eric. Right, thanks, Matt. Two men. Two men. 
$10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. It was a strong bounce-back week for the old roll. Most of our bets were winners. Uh, And let's start with the Boston Bruins. Uh, John, you've been getting rich off these NHL playoffs, and you added two wins to the tally. Your bet two weeks ago on the Bruins to win the series against the Hurricanes was a winner. You risked $155 to get a return of $255. And you added another bet last week on the Bruins to win Game 4 at minus 120, and they did indeed complete the sweep. So we profited another $100 on that one. You also had success betting Rory McIlroy in the PGA Championship, even if technically you went one for two, a long shot bet on Rory to win the tournament for $30 at plus 1,000 odds came up short, but a safer top 20 bet at plus 165 odds was a winner. So combined, we finished up $135 on those two golf bets. Meanwhile, I had roughly a break-even week. All my stats about the Warriors dominating first quarters at home were for naught. The streak ended in game two against the Blazers, so that cost us $110. But we made $100 back with my Deontay Wilder by KO bet. Now, I know you're not a boxing fan, John, but this one was all over social media and SportsCenter. Did you see the knockout? And more importantly, did you see my reaction to it in the third row at ringside? Uh, Oh, uh, uh, Eric, the last fight I saw, no kidding, um, one famous boxer bit off the piece of an ear of the other uh, one i know the fight you're referring to yes. yeah probably some people do uh, now you say third row i mean that's awesome uh, i just want to know what color gamble on podcast t-shirt were you wearing <laughs> unfortunately i was not uh, advertising uh-huh. on my on uh, my clothing i know that's I, a lost opportunity right i there. suppose so i didn't i didn't realize quite where they were going to seat me and that i would be uh featured on the camera during the third slow-mo replay of the knockout uh, but yeah, after the fight ended, uh, you know, within minutes, a few people tagged me in tweets about it. Um, but I couldn't see the replay uh, from where I was. So it wasn't until the next morning that I got a chance to watch it. I felt my reaction was pretty low key. I, I just put my hand over my mouth uh, as as uh, the opponent, Dominic Brazil, went down. There was another prominent boxing writer a couple of seats over who was busted playing around on his phone instead of watching the action at the time of the (laughs) knockout. Uh, And there was a guy in the front row, the undercard ring announcer, who had a total freak out face like he'd seen a ghost. Uh, So relatively speaking, I I was pretty composed, but I I did indeed blow the opportunity to uh, get some good publicity for Gamble. Yeah, about 20 years ago, and this is back in the day when the NBA was dumb enough to let uh, reporters sit courtside, um, I was sitting at center court. Uh, when uh, there was a scuffle between Danny Ferry and Marcus Camby and Jeff Van Gundy tried to get involved as he's wanted to do the former Knicks coach and current broadcaster. And he got into the middle of it. He's about a foot shorter than both of them at least. And, um, Somehow he wound up in the in the on the wrong end of it. So he goes down like a shot right in front of me. I mean, I'm standing up and I'm looking down about three feet in front of me. And it was hilarious that happened. But there was an outside chance that, you know, he had a concussion or, you know, something serious, a seizure, right. who knows. And so I remember putting on this grim game face, looking down <laughs> as if like, you know, gee, I, I hope he's OK, because I knew the cameras were on me and I, I've seen the replays and I look properly concerned about uh, Jeff's welfare. And um, 
fortunately, after about a minute or so, it was obvious he was fine, and we all laughed. We had a good laugh out of it, including Jeff. But uh, yeah, you always you never know when you're going to be on that camera, so uh, you want to have that uh, proper face. And I'm going back, you know, before Twitter and and really social media. So right. I just knew I didn't want to be in a, in a in a replay of some serious <laughs> incident. But nowadays, yeah, it's it's instant, like you say. So uh, uh, it sounds like he did a pretty good job, other than. Wear that T-shirt every day. I know, you I know. <laughs> You're right. Um, all right, well, I'll, I'll play the uh, competitive name-dropping game against you now, then. So you, you had Jacques Cousteau's granddaughter. I'm close friends with Marcus Camby's freshman year college roommate. So there you go. Impressive. <laughs> all right, back to our bankroll. Uh, all in all, we won $325 this week. Uh, so we're now ahead by $656, and we have $940 on hold in futures bets, leaving us with $9,716 available to bet. And I'm up first. As we record this, the Bucks and Raptors are tied 2-2 in the Eastern Conference Finals. We don't know who the Warriors are going to be playing in the Finals. We don't know if Kevin Durant will play. And I don't think either unknown matters much. Uh, neither the Bucks nor Raptors are a great team. They're good. Not great. Neither one has quite enough pieces around its superstar player. And with or without Durant, the Warriors are great. Stephen Curry is reminding us, oh yeah, back when this was his team, he won a couple of MVP awards and was the most dangerous offensive player in the league. So... I like the Warriors to win the NBA title, regardless of opponent, regardless of the fact that uh, the Eastern Conference representative may have the home court advantage. I'd say the Warriors are about 90% likely to win a seven-game series against either team. The price is minus 220 on FanDuel, so I really like that. I'm betting bigger than usual. I'm putting $440 of our bankroll on the Warriors to win $200 if they win the NBA championship. Mm, well, that's uh, that's bold. So uh, you, know, you, 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 you sound like you're not a, you're not entirely uh, confident in my bet there. Uh, don't don't have the home court and all that, but uh, it's okay. Um, all right. So I've won I won three straight series and four straight bets on the Bruins, of course. Uh, but as I said last week, I, I'm not married to the to them necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I, I'm getting hitched again because <laughs> like like the Blue Jackets and the Hurricane, the Blues are an ultimate happy to be here team. You know, anytime a team can lose a series and still call it a magical season, they usually do. <laughs> so I'm just got to go 155 to win 100 on the Bruins skating away with the Stanley Cup. All right. Uh, I guess I'll uh, root for the Bruins. <laughs> um, all right. My next bet. Now, some people like to hedge on their good bets to lock in a profit. I'm the kind of loser, uh, or if I were from Louisiana, loser, who has to consider hedging on his bad bets to minimize losses. At the start of the baseball season, I broke my no parlays rule, and I said at the time that I was fated to have one half win and the other half lose, uh, and that's where we might be headed with my parlay of the Astros to win the AL West and the Indians to win the AL Central. Houston's looking great. They're up seven and a half games. All good there. Uh, and and I'll note here before you give me a hard time for parlaying that if I had only bet on Houston, it was like a minus 800 bet. So not, not really worth it. But anyway, I added the Indians to get the parlay down to a minus 167 return. And they've been so-so. They're 25 and 23. And to the surprise of almost everyone, the Twins are 32 and 16. They have the best record in baseball. And they're seven games up on Cleveland. So I'm going to hedge. 
in part because PointsBet just has the Twins priced way too low. At most sports books, Minnesota is minus 150, minus 180, somewhere in that range. On PointsBet, when I checked yesterday, they were a mere minus 125 to win the Central. Uh, we risked $300 on this parlay at the start of the season. I'm now going to bet $125 on Minnesota to win 100 So we still turn a small profit if the Indians rally and our parlay hits. And we lessen the damage if the Twins hold on. I don't love doing it, but I think it's a good price right now on a team with a seven-game lead. I think that's uh, very responsible, Eric. Uh, on the other <laughs> hand, your first bet was uh, pretty bold. So uh, I love the Bucks over the Raptors. And um, uh, following in your steps, I'm not going to uh, just go a mere 139 to win 50. I'm going to go 278 to win 100 that the Bucks indeed take this series. So it's 278 to win. Is it 100, 100. or two? Okay. 100, wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Not not the greatest of odds there, but uh, yeah, all right. Maybe. You know. But I love the Bucks. <laughs> Again, the Raptors. The the pressure's off. They they want they won a couple series. They uh, uh, they've been representative in this uh, series. They didn't get swept or anything. So uh, they're in a happy place and uh, probably too happy. Yeah, and they do still have two out of the remaining three games are in Milwaukee. So I agree. I agree with you uh, that the Bucks. Uh, I would expect the Bucks to win. Uh, don't love the price, but hey, if it wins, it uh, won't matter what the price was, I guess. Uh, all right. Well, that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, the floor is yours. Please take us out. Uh, Eric, I think I've used up my Phyllis Snark this week for sure. So um, <laughs> uh, just let me know that Memorial Day is coming up on Monday, and, mm-hmm. and it's a hell of a lot more than just the ceremonial start of summer, as it's now described. Um, my father was a bombardier who flew 35 B-17 combat missions from England over Germany during World War II. He two prestigious air medals, uh, one related to an ill-fated trip, his co-pilot was killed. Um, the official military notes, you can find them on the Internet, states a Sergeant Brennan removed Lieutenant Stevens from the cockpit. I, I still don't know what exactly is the meaning behind the listing of that note, but uh, it made quite an impact on me. Um, I always liked the idea of my father being a military hero, but uh, he very much declined the honor. Um, the only heroes are the ones who didn't make it back home, he once told me, and that was the end of that conversation. So. Yeah, everybody fire up the grill on Monday, fill up the cooler, and I hope you enjoy a lovely day. But if you can't make it to a Memorial Day ceremony, um, I just ask you to take a moment to sit back and think about Lieutenant Stevens and all the others who didn't make it back home. So uh, with that, until next time, gamble on. Gamble on.